So I just kind of like let things go. So you could ask any questions. This isn't, it's just, I just capture it all. And then I, I fix it later. Okay. <laughs> so sounds good. Yeah. Well, first I'd... of all, thanks so much for having us on. Um, we're like really big fans of yours. And oh, thank you. We really are. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're... I, I think Alexis listens like every episode of your podcast, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm your super yeah. fan. And yeah. also you've just been so supportive of our mm-hmm. little project, like since the beginning, I feel like you are the default friend of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Dude, really you really sweet. are. You're a day, day one ride or die. We're obsessed <laughs> with you. I don't even remember how I how I found you guys, which is a crazy part. I might have... I might have just been typing in like nymphette on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we get to. <laughs> yeah, it's true. No, I was going to ask you that too, because I was wondering, that was one of the things that really propelled us forward, I think, because we got you engaged with, or I think our first or second episode and wrote something really beautiful about Rookie and all of those aesthetics. And that really, I think, um, you gave us our first push, so... Um, you're almost like the um, the mom of the pod. <laughs> it's great. It's like, <laughs> thank you. I yeah. I, that's that's great to hear. Um, yeah. yeah, I feel like there needs to be uh, more sort of like cultural criticism along the lines of what you guys are doing. And I'm noticing that there actually is, and I can't tell if it's like a small thing where like you guys sort of pushed the first domino, or it's just kind of in the water. Um, I've noticed it on like TikTok a lot. There's like a lot of like people are getting burnt out on culture war stuff and they're doing like retrospective sort of trend analysis, I guess is the best way or like aesthetic analysis. That's like my job. That's literally my job. Really? Yeah. I do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're definitely right. It's like a, a growing field. I've actually did you, did you wrote something about this that was really interesting and I can't remember which article it was on your Substack. Um, but I do remember kind of like you explaining the culture or kind of like cancel culture hasn't really disappeared. It's kind of transformed into something new. Um, and that's something that I think I've really noticed a lot because I think that something about, um, how heavily intellectualized everything was the past two years, people are turning to make, turning towards like aesthetic arguments more and more, um, and it's weird. That's something I, I did want to ask you about a little bit. And maybe if you could expand upon that, um, because I think that there's some sort of weird like aestheticization of morality that's happening. And I, I don't know if yeah. you've noticed something like that. Um, so, yeah, I definitely I definitely agree with that. Um, I mean, well, a lot of for a lot of things like a lot of stuff is sort of like rooted in theory, but most people haven't read that theory. Right. Like on the left and the right. So, I mean, all you could do is, is really talk about it, like what you could see and what you, what you can consume, because at a certain point, if you've like never read like Foucault, like I've never read Foucault, right. I can't really, I can't really argue that, you know, I, I like, I, I don't have the tools, but I could talk about what I'm actually seeing. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's, I mean, I don't know, that's, that's sort of my take on that. I don't know if you were thinking about something else though. Um. Well, I think I've just noticed more and more with like Zoomers specifically that, um, I don't know, I, for, for a while I was thinking like calling things chuggy, it was almost like a new form of cancel culture. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, where it felt almost like, 
um, people are trying to find, I, I like this sort, sort of like um, characterization of this being almost like a type of culture war, which it is because I think that there's something about trying to streamline um, an argument against something that you don't particularly like without having to justify it, you know? And so you just kind of call it corny or something, you know? Which is kind of yeah. like totalizing in that way, the same way that people used moral arguments in the past, you know? Yeah, no, I, th I think you're. I think you're right on that too. I've noticed that a lot on like right wing Twitter too, and they kind of um, like. I used to think that you, like you just can't you can't have these like knee jerk responses to to things like that, um, but um, like they really value disgust. Like that's their big gripe with Ayla. And if listeners, I, I think all my listeners know who Ayla is, but if you don't, she's a cam girl who does these sort of like wonky polls, and she's super. She's a rationalist, and she'll she'll be like. Like she doesn't understand why, um, like if, if everyone has consented, uh, why like necrophilia is wrong, right? Um, you know, if the family of the dead's consented and then the person wants it, you know, the the body is, is this is grotesque, I'm so sorry. And like a right winger would say, well, it being disgusting and have, you know, having a disgust response is enough to make, it's, it's wrong for other like deeper spiritual reasons. But if you're, if you don't buy into that, the disgust response should be enough. Um, and I think that's sort of like similar to like the, the, the Chugi thing that you're describing, like just not liking something is enough of a, a justification, which I actually, I like that. I think that kind of has like more integrity than kind of doing these like mental acrobatics to justify why something is morally wrong if you just like straight up think it's ugly, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and there's value in that. And I think that's really been lost. Yeah, I think that chuggy is like a moral implication. Though. I feel like ugly is like a better word. Just say something's ugly. So be like, I don't like this. Like you have wax style, in the words of like Meg Superstar Princess, instead of calling someone <laughs> chuggy. Yeah, that's true. Well, chuggy also has this like age baggage yeah. to it too, where it feels like I've noticed this like weird thing, especially like in internet culture reporting and like on on TikTok, where it's like there's you know everything like good and pure and true is like for under 30s who are like cool and like you know internet it girls or whatever and then everything bad is for olds or right-wingers it's like a weird <laughs> it's like a weird dichotomy that is true um well that's actually something do you have any thoughts about um age and like the internet um and how like the internet is conducive to this more so like like the medium itself of the internet and like uh instead of just the like trendy stuff that is pushed through the cycle um does that make sense i don't know if that formulated no, yeah it does like, make sense um i mean you don't it, because the way you experience things online like age could be more about affinity than like you know in real life think like your body stops you from acting like a young person like you get too fatigued or you don't have the right physical body to to blend but that doesn't happen online so i think like like i do think like taylor lorenz understands zoomer culture because she's immersed in those environments and she's not like psychologically stopped from being on like the the trend side of the zoomer internet um but you can't really you can't really do that in real life because you just look too old right like <laughs> you can't hang out with a bunch of 17 year olds yeah that's true like especially in marketing there's a lot of people right now are saying like gen z is a mindset which would make sense with something 
someone like Hillary runs because like you're saying since everything is diffused through the internet it is like not limited by looking old or or being uh, poorly or something <laughs> being poorly being poorly <laughs> sorry yeah. I, I just moved to the UK so I've started saying things like poorly which is what they say here to say like um I feel sick <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah I was uh, thinking about age in relation to like the field of internet history as we know it which is kind of evolving and I feel like it's going into two paths there is kind of like the YouTuber video essay thing that I feel like a lot of Gen Z is into where, you know, you're just like getting this narrated back to you and it's stuff that you already know happened, but it's just like fun to revisit. But then I feel like there is a really viable career in being like a Gen Z kind of medium and doing like the lecture circuit, media studies kind of thing. Um, do you have any thoughts about that? Before, before I, I think you're right, but before that, um... I, I have a bad habit of not introducing my guests. <laughs> so maybe we could go around the, the Zoom room uh, and introduce yourself. And then, then we could get back back to, to chatting. I've, sure. I've just been throwing people out there. <laughs> I think like I've offended that. some guests too, because it's just, I uh, never introduced Curtis Yarvin. I just released the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Needs no introduction. I think you can say that. And... I was like, oh, this is with the world's most famous blogger. And yeah. <laughs> it's, it's Tommy Gevinson. It's Tommy Gevinson. <laughs> Ooh, we Some should hook them up. Um, no, that shouldn't happen. I kind of want to see it happen. That would be mad chaotic. But I'm Sam. I'm one of three um, hosts of NIMFET alumni. Um, I'm big. <laughs> I'm one of... I'm the other one third of the podcast <laughs> alumni. It's a podcast about fashion and culture. Uh, are we just interested? Like, is it just should I say what I do in general, like, or just podcast things? How you do you say whatever you want? It? Okay, just do it whatever then for, your heart for a streamlining, I'll just keep it at that. I'll just say. <laughs> and then I'm the remaining third of the yeah. alumni, and my name's Alexi. Yay. Mm -hmm. And we love Default Yay. Friend. <laughs> Thank you. We're default Friend fan club also. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm going to call the episode and everyone's going to be like, what the fuck's wrong with this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so back to back to what you were saying, now that we're, we're all introduced. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> so you you mentioned that there's there's like a nostalgia route and then there's people who are sort of like gen z uh whispers right mm -hmm. yeah i mean there's definitely i feel like people are like especially millennials are so intimidated by they either think they're gen z or they're intimidated by it that's actually really interesting to me because i mean if you guys have heard nymphet alumni you guys know that i really like marshall McLuhan, um and his whole theory about digital media, I think was very prescient to the internet. And, you know, I think that people have to read the medium of the internet as like a language game. And we're kind of in transition between two different types of literacies. And I think that's really the, the differentiating marker between um, millennials and Gen Z. So, you know, if, if you guys have read Marsh McLuhan, he has this theory of like hot and cold media, right? And 
Hot media is very high definition media. Cold media is very low definition media. So a hot medium would be like TikTok. Very high definition, very engaging of all of the senses. And a book would be very low definition because it's just like a piece of paper, like that's quiet and doesn't engage all of your senses. But McLuhan said that people that engage mostly with hot mediums tend to be very like, um, not superficial, but they tend to not be as introspective and self-aware. And that's why they have such a good sense of humor because when you're constantly engaging with media that's engaging all of your senses, you don't have as much room to be introspective and you're just sort of lighthearted. And it seems like Gen Z, that's kind of like the, the ethos of it. It's like lighthearted, very quick-witted because it, it kind of has had like time to develop these instincts to be on their toes at all times. You know what I mean? That's a really good point. And I feel like TikTok's for the apex of like hot media, right? Because you're not, oh, yeah. you're not only, not only does it encompass all your senses, you're not really interacting with peop- other people in a true sense. It's just a mirror and you're just mm-hmm. flipping and you're looking at other people's mirrors, but you're not, but when you're creating, it's like, you don't really respond. You could stitch things, I guess, but it's, or duet, but it's not really the same as Twitter where you're like in this web with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of anonymity to TikTok too, even when you're stitching things like because there's so little personal information on your profile on TikTok, it just kind of feels like a very um, disembodied way to interact with other people, um, which I think provides a lot of freedom and and in the way that people create content on there. Um, Well, like TikTok fame feels like super cheap too, because it's just, you can like come and go. it's always like really impressive to me when people are able to be TikTok famous and then they can move it to to like Twitter or like Substack or Instagram or if they've conquered all the realms because TikTok <laughs> fame on its own gives you like basically nothing, I think. Yeah, I think I did that, to be honest. That you I conquered got my them start, all? Not all of them, but I got my start. I would say I kind of got my start on TikTok and then like that really helped my like writing um, career and other parts of my my life but it's like I think we're seeing it more and more especially with people like Rain Fisher Kwan and kind of like these um TikTok voices people are realizing yeah that TikTok fame TikTok attention does come and go and they like build their communities elsewhere like on Substack I feel like such a creep I had her on the show um a while I need to release that episode it was like before she kind of like blew up Mm-hmm. Um, but I always mention her and like, I've been mentioning her a lot because she's sort of like the perfect example in a way of this, because it's like, she's, she's just like conquered every, like she conquered Substack. Like the, the thing that like sort of turned me on to her was I liked her videos, but I've never seen someone like not even Glenn Greenwald gets the amount of engagement on Substack mm-hmm. that she does. It's insane. Isn't she like the number one essayist? I think so she tops a, some category, right? It was, I think they removed those categories because you okay. could set them yourself and game them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you could be number one if you were the only one who had put that label. That so they took that's so, yeah, so they took away that tagging system, and now they only have like the like ten of them. And I, I, she's, she has to be like in the top 10 of, of like culture though, right? Which is one of the, the mm-hmm. tags that they kept. Well, I think it's like the eternal. Um, appeal to the teenage girl is the diary personal essay form style of writing that's just kind of like a hack and the more um adjacent you are to that mentality rain being you know like a young girl herself you're going to be automatically very successful um because I think also something about I don't know if this has been the case 
for all of history for like the teenage girl archetype or whatever but it's like totally defined by trying to articulate your experiences um and that's kind of like what therapy was supposed to be about back in the day right like it's you're supposed to like talk out your problems to make it like to articulate your experience with the world and sort of like make it a bit easier to process but it does feel like seeing people like rain articulate their experiences so heavily I think some girls kind of use those as proxies for their own introspection because that type of introspection I think takes work does that make sense it feels almost like um well it's like okay so every single day I try to write in my diary but I'm usually too lazy not usually I sometimes am too lazy and so almost like when you're reading someone's substack who has a similar experience to you, it's like they wrote in their diary, your diary for you. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I, I was think thinking about, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, I think that's like the purpose that like shows like euphoria serve too. Like, it's just mm-hmm. like you, so you don't have to process it and you could like watch, like maybe like people get justice or like experience emotions in these situations that seem like more like real or like uh you know like certain threads are 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 wrapped if they you know when they aren't in real life and it's like really supposed to, I mean I guess that's the that's the point of all that's <laughs> that's the point of all dramatic media that catharsis yeah but there is something interesting about I've been thinking about this a lot too where I think this is part of this language game that we're playing with the medium of the internet where I think that like there's almost it's almost like the dictionary is being replaced with the encyclopedia. You know what I mean? Like, it feels almost like you're, whenever you're attaching words to your own experience, it becomes less and less like your own words and more and more like a mythological, like a mythological, like narrative that you've chosen and like a categorization that has been assigned to you by the algorithm that helps you articulate your experience. But it's like so depersonalized, but people feel very attached to it. This is what I feel whenever I see these TikToks about like BPD or like history, like I don't know, all these like mental health things where it does feel like people are desperately seeking, like instead of a, a means to articulate their own experience, like a category to attach themselves to. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think that's right. And I think that's been, that's like, that's why people, list their labels out in their bios and that's why that you know people would do that on tumblr um it, it makes you it makes you easier to understand mm-hmm. yeah. yeah that like quick-wittedness of gen z that you mentioned sam i feel like it also kind of applies here because i feel like on tiktok i'm also really impressed when people like create a long form writing career or something out of that where they like manage to capture people's attention for more than 60 seconds but I feel like the reaction is either like, wow, this is literally me, or the kind of like, I don't know, I think stuff like this is funny, just being like L or like duetting something and like not even like saying anything, but you're like implying that the other person is wrong just by being like, wow, look at this. Um, One time I made this TikTok and it was analyzing an aesthetic and um, it had, it was a grunge fairy core and it was like, it was for my job, so it wasn't like on my personal account, but I remember it got onto like the angry Gen Z, like Kurt Cobain, Kurt Cobain standing side of TikTok. And so there was a bunch of du- duets and stitches with kids just like watching it and screaming. Like I remember this. Yeah, do you remember that? It was like, yeah. they would, like just like scream and throw their phone on the ground. 
which is like yeah. what you're saying Alexi. like it's like yeah that's like the verbal de- definition of like l it's either like that or being like it's not that deep which not that i deep. can't yeah. imagine like i don't know having that mentality seems really destructive to thought in general yeah but it's sort of like the antidote to sort of like the like schizophrenic like paranoia that a lot of people have yeah i mm. mean you know, I, I, I'm, like, surprised that no one has, it's not that deep to me. Like, because I feel like I get into these things where I'm, like, oh, X equals Y, and, like, <laughs> you know, I this really is all, think like, X. I, the only times I've been, it's not that deep is on TikTok. It's, like, really, I think it's a really TikTok-y thing. Because I think when you have to watch someone explain things versus just being able to skim over the writing, um, it, it makes you... I don't know. Maybe you have like a more visceral reaction. Yeah. Yeah. But also, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> I was just gonna say, yeah. On TikTok, it's kind of like implying that something's not that deep. Is like, why would you even make this video in mm-hmm. the first place? But I feel like mm-hmm. when you're writing, it's like you get more time to convince people that it is that deep and like why it should be. And I guess it goes subject. back to hot and cold too, which is like when. S- because TikTok is so hot, you feel like someone's kind of like invading your personal space in a way when they're talking to you about something. But like writing, you really can just like skim it or like scroll away. And it's, no, it's like a cold, a cold medium, I guess you could, you would say, Sam. Yeah, that's like so true because it's, it is like that, that is the basis of TikTok. I think is absolutely no introspection. That's why people go on there and get so addicted to it because it it's literally just shuts your entire brain down and performs the functions of it in a very rudimentary fashion. So yeah, because the because the algorithm is so like good on there, I feel like people can take it as a personal attack when they get something that like doesn't yes, exactly. directly serve them. Yeah. They're like, why yeah. the fuck is this on my for you page? And it's like, oh yeah, food relax, yeah. spoon spoon fed, yeah. I think I've set, written a lot more like inflammatory provo- and provocative things in writing than I've ever said on TikTok, but I've never gotten like as visceral of a response to something I've written as I have to something I made on TikTok. Well, people also like feel like they could say whatever they want in the TikTok comments. I mean, I definitely do that mm. all the I'm so mean on I'm TikTok, comments. TikTok comments. Yeah. <laughs> have you been getting a lot of like Alice and Fern content on your feed? Yeah. I love Fern the baby oh yeah there's like two ba- there's like two sections of babies on tiktok the first is um S- scout and violet and the second is baby fern and i feel like they're like opposites yeah i've never scout- seen scout and violet oh my god really i just get You've crunchy babies seen them? oh my gosh scout <laughs> and violet, i feel like they're the most famous tiktok babies is it uh, is it like the single mom with the twins the single mom with the twins yeah oh or are they the, the big, big ones, ones? like fat um, no they're no. not they're not that's another category of tiktok is <laughs> no, like they're tiny like, mom giant baby no yeah they are i would say they're they're kind of big like when she picks them up and she's holding them together yeah okay. so it's like they could be big babies you can call them big babies <laughs> the, scout, is- the wait no the fern thing kind of makes me feel like we're witnessing like the lol cowification of tiktok because of the way that people are engaging with their content and like they also it leaks over onto this like snark subreddit which like something about the term snark just seems like very millennial to me I mean, <laughs> yeah. alice is on she she has a lol cow thread she's she's been on lol cow for a minute like years like yeah really? that's about her on there yeah yeah there's oh, a yeah. whole there's a whole thread for her um but i think that's like a i think you're right because we just had the and it feels like 
TikTok wants that to happen because they kept pushing Modern Warrior and uh, Chelsea, I think it was her oh, name, yeah, yeah. Moonlands thing. Yeah. Uh, oh, this is this is actually something really smart that Alexi said when we went on Contain, um, which is that um, she noticed when, like, you know, I think everyone, when they first get on TikTok, the algorithm shows you, like, extremely hot, like, neotenous girls that look like they're 18 years old, and then it's, like, guys in prison or, like, deformed people. And, like, somehow, <laughs> like, based on your reactions to those two extremes, like, TikTok forms your personalized algorithm. And I was like, damn, dude, that's so true. I don't know what what that is like it is like the ll cowification of it you know it's like tiktok is constantly showing you things that are gonna um i don't know repulse you in a very human way it wants yeah. you to like hate humanity <laughs> like, and i think we're like gen z is a kind of delicate generation in terms of self-esteem so it does take a really specific balance to constantly serve someone with stuff that like doesn't make them feel like total shit about themselves but also like makes them feel like whoa i'm like doing way better than some people like i got so many like kind of messed out looking like florida people on I androids and like i don't know why they keep giving me stuff like that i guess because it seems like i like it i wonder that i get i get so many people who are just like living in like dens of inequity like there was i there was someone i got recently who I actually reached out, speaking of Taylor Lorenz, I reached out to her and I was like, can you investigate this? Cause I think this is like a neglected <laughs> child who's like doing the rounds on TikTok. And like, I don't know who else would possibly bring this the attention that it deserves. And of course she was like, whatever default brand and like, <laughs> came of it. but I mean, it was like, I was like, why am I getting so many children with just like, just like, you know, filth saturated carpets and hoarder homes yeah, who have like, like dirty fingernails. Really yeah. sad. And there was a uh, Sabrina Prater who everyone was sort of comparing to Buffalo Bill. Um, mm. She was like this trans woman who was renovating a house and she would do these dances. Oh, and yeah. everyone was like, oh, she's a murderer. And it was- Yeah, and, yeah she had like those hundreds and hundreds of them. Yeah. I can look her up right now. Ooh, yeah, you're gonna get scared. I feel like I'm already scared. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everyone was saying that she was, that she was creepy because like she's a, a trans woman, but she was like creepy because she was in like an abandoned home um with like you know like a really nice computer just sort of like dancing without any explanation like that's mm -hmm. that was the yeah. creepy, rolling, like, creepy. rolling stone read about her yeah and she, she wasn't mm -hmm. dancing to like normal tiktok songs it was like weird country music <laughs> i think that was disarming to no people. i think it was it was like 80s it was like girls just want to have fun over and over, oh, and over again which is the other oh thing oh my god and shania twain's yeah man of mine wow yeah, I think everyone is just in a weird, like, there's the true crime effect where everyone feels like they're an investigator and has this, like, well, I don't know, like, authority to do wellness checks on everyone on the internet, but it's also, I don't know, like, a weird form of voyeurism that doesn't sit right with me. Well, I think it is, like, the algorithm, like, it becomes addicting to... I feel like almost, this is kind of a silly thing to say, but it feels almost like an abusive relationship with the algorithm because it makes you feel like so horrific about yourself and then it throws something at you that makes you automatically feel better. Like some like really deformed person that just like tugs at your heartstrings and you're just like, oh, I feel so bad for this disabled woman like in Arkansas or whatever. And then like the next video is like someone that's going to make you feel like, like you need to lose like a hundred pounds and like get, <laughs> tons of plastic surgery and like um like cool sculpting or something 
Oh yeah, I remember um, what, I, what I was gonna say. I feel like Gen Z also has an interest in this like format of alternate reality games and like the weird kind of creepy pasta ways of using the internet, where like things are really not what they seem. So, I think people were thinking that maybe the Sabrina Prater thing was like a fictionalized attempt to like seem creepy, but then it's just, it was like, just no, like some, some people chick. have creepy lives, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I also think, you know, like to the, you know, the point about true crime, it's like a way to like be like re-embodied uh, because like you're feeling scared. Whereas like normally you're like very sedated when you're mm. on these platforms. That is so a true. really good point. Yeah. yeah. And also I think it invigorates your mind a bit as well, as well as re-embodying you by feeling scared because you kind of are like having to put the clues together. So you feel like you're a genius in a way. <laughs> um versus tiktok content yeah like you said it usually like sedates you but this is making you do some like very minimal um clue clue splicing yeah it's like yeah. gamified puzzle pieces yeah exactly Sherlock Holmes. sam and i wrote about this for a magazine called talk um that's coming out <laughs> at some point soon but um yeah it seems like everyone this is like why everyone's diagnosing themselves with like adult adhd it's because we're so addicted to like you know, internet rabbit holes and, like, Wikipedia spirals and doing all of this digging. And I think that's, like, a very forum activity. It's something that happens on LolCow and, like, Fortune, I guess, just, like, discovering and piecing all these things together. But it's also just, like, what do you do with all that information? It feels like there's... poet. Yeah, you become a poet. and yeah, a sub-stack poet. A sub-stack poet. Yeah, conspiracy yeah. theory stuff to me just seems like a pretty like useless exercise if you're just like getting all this information that's already out there and then it's like mm-hmm. all you can say is like wow that's so fucked up but I always feel like people I used to think that people who or women who are obsessed with like serial killers and true crime had just had really boring lives and yeah. they had never met someone who was malicious in that way and so that's why they were interested in it but now I think it's different because I constantly see women in the comments are people in the comments being like like i also know a narcissist just like ted bundy <laughs> and i'm like, I'm like there's more of a narcissist here yeah, 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 of a narcissist here and the and it's like a video of like ted bundy um so it's interesting sorry that just came to mind here's uh, speaking of, ta- of tangents here's a weird idea that i just had as you were speaking like i, I want to say like 2008 we had that like psychopaths um you know the very cold sort of Hannibal Lecter styles you know Edward Cullen being another one like everyone thinking they're hot and now we're obsessed with narcissistic abuse I wonder if those are like linked like everyone you know sort of thinking that they were the Harley Quinn to some joker and now they're (laughs) like I've been the victim of a narcissist yeah that's actually really funny like all those relationships are ending (laughs) <laughs> 13 years later <laughs> yeah maybe well is it a form of exceptionalism do you think I don't know if that's correct that that just yes. kind of like it's, it's just kind like of like manic, it's like manic pixie dream girl like I can fix him yeah well it's He's also the like same Hannibal Lecter but I can fix him <laughs> exactly and that's also just kind of the same thing as like um woke culture of people um, mythologizing their own pain so much that they really want to feel exceptional and unique and like they stand out and so people feeling like attaching themselves like I think that's also just the impulse for a lot of younger women who are drawn to chaotic men who are or even just men that they don't even really like um 
I don't know, men, men that are not right for them or something. I think that they feel like they want to mythologize their lives or, or maybe like give words to their own pain or something. Um, Lana syndrome. Lana syndrome. Exactly. It's kind of like, um, yeah, they, they want to, they want to romanticize these types of things as like a form of like trying to feel exceptional. Um, this is reminding me of how I feel like there's a weird movement of like incel fetishization that's really fascinating to me. Yes. And I saw a post about this like in relation to Batman, how like Batman used to be this like, I don't know, I didn't see any of the older movies, but he was like a playboy, kind of like really smooth talking, like alpha male. And now he's like an incel who like doesn't talk to anyone and just like is really tortured and how that is like very female gazy. But I'm also seeing kind of like a pushback of people being like, oh, like girls think it's like funny to talk to the computer science major and like make him feel sweaty. And like, I kind of get that appeal, but I think we're going to start to see some kind of movement of like women being master manipulators or something. Oh, yeah, I, I totally saw this. Agree. Oh, you go ahead. Yeah, Sorry. I was going to say, I, I, I interviewed this like incel researcher. Um, her name's Nama Cates and she has a podcast. She's super smart, but like a bit, I mean, this turned out to be like a 6,000 word piece that like nobody read, but I wish they did because it was about <laughs> mostly about like women who like finagle their way into like these incel discords and like, you know, get off on making the incels ascend and like taking their virginities or like, if not taking their virginities, just like having sex with them. And I mean, like, that's, that's like a, I think everyone sort of knows a woman like this, but like it's just like not really talked about and it it is like very manipulative because i think i mean it is a power trip it's not because they think it's hot that they're inexperienced they like to be the special the special one who fixed this guy and like the they're like perpetually you like you can't forget the woman you lost your virginity to and it makes it so you can't be disposable and it, i don't know it's like this thing that everyone kind of knows is happening but no one really talks about no yeah, it's also like a moralistic thing to it it kind of seems like harm reduction if you're like taking one for the team and like <laughs> fucking an incel before he <laughs> decides to shoot everyone up um no yeah i saw this tweet the other day that was like girls that date nerdy guys it's almost like the same thing as guys that date much younger women which made a lot of sense to me because it is kind of like these people are so naive and they're so attached to you they're so dependent on you like they're going to um and they're going to like worship you in like in a way that like a normal person wouldn't. And so it's kind of like, oh, I need to like, I need to find someone that's going to see me as exceptional as I see myself type thing. Yeah, it does um, put you in a really crazy position to be like the person that sets the tone for someone's relationships and like understanding what a relationship is for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And like really freak out too. Like I, I, I feel and I've, I've written about this a little bit. Like when these guys like, you know, like maybe like not, they won't always have, have sex with them or like maybe they will sort of inconsistently. And then like at some point, like the man either meets someone else or pulls back and they kind of like freak out and act like the guy's doing something wrong. But really it's like they're losing, you know, they're, they're basically losing like an emotional tampon to use like the insult <laughs> of terminology, which is like, again, I think of it just like, it's a female fuck boy. What's mm. an emotional tampon? Um, an emotional tampon is someone who, uh, you know, like sucks up all the 
the emotional baggage. Yeah. Without really getting any uh, returns or Right? I like honestly they think inside you, but you throw them away. I think mm. this mentality is really outdated though, because like I remember there was this point last year where I specifically remember this may have been before the podcast, me we started the podcast, but me and Sam like would see all of these guys who were just like deeply online guys who had who were kind of like neats. And they would just have a roster of like sexy, sexy e-girls. Oh my god! Yeah. And we like we had this moment like we our brains were like fried, and I think it's just been like that since then. Like I just I think that like the mentality of like oh like I'm so hot this guy can't be mean to me is is just not in play anymore. Um, Well, well, it's hard to predict, right? Because it's like you don't know who's because some guys could be like kind of like ugly meats and they still get a lot of play and then other guys are like they're fine they're mid like I know I know guys who fall into both buckets and I still cannot figure out what puts like what gives a guy digital game and what doesn't because it has nothing to do with anything (laughs) it's getting so specific now because of the like the verbiage of like icks and red flags Mm -hmm. and it's so hard for guys to have a social media presence without you know, getting turned off. But if he has no social media presence, you're like, oh, like I need to find his Reddit account. Um, yeah. yeah. Girls do like, like I think like demented story posters. Yeah, story posting yeah. Is, is good. Demented oh, though. Yeah. yeah, it has to be dark. It has to be really yeah. dark and mysterious. Um, we do have one person whose story we send back and forth all the time who's a guy who we won't mention, but yeah. I, yeah no we we have we we're like um we actually have investigators of this yeah we have a lot of we 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 do we academically study dark men um (laughs) with with instagram stories with instagram stories yeah because i I think it is like it's the same thing of well that's another thing too this is another McLuhan thing that this is why he said that television was more engaging than um like a lot of other mediums is because what's what what TV shows are almost about is like what's not shown on screen, right? And people who are engaging with media, they engage it, they engage with it in a much more um, complex way whenever there's like a, a heavy amount of mystery to it because people like to feel like they're participating within the storytelling. And that's what it, that's what even, you know, I think a lot of people saw the like um, Kardashian colloquium TikTok where she said that like Kanye was almost like doing this like media theater type thing where um, it's almost like active storytelling where the media, the paparazzi, um, this like direct to consumer, like replying to people in the comments, like very like web, web like three type shit where it's like kind of like remove the middleman, like direct to consumer storytelling. Um, And that, that really blew up in a way um, for Kanye that was like, previously unseen I think um so it does feel like we're all kind of like participating in this own like in this one like grand theatrical moment with like gossip and even just like interpersonal um puzzle like puzzling together people's like little um mysterious posting I don't know um speaking of celebrity relationships I contributed to this like this piece for a magazine recently and they were writing about the rise of like 
gory celebrity romances like Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly and then Courtney and Travis because obviously Meg um Machine Gun Kelly proposed to Megan with a ring to like will make her bleed if she takes it off and then like Courtney wears a vial of Travis's blood or like has no she posted a picture of it she doesn't wear one but I agree it like it really stimulates something inside of us to see that and it kind of breaks through like the feed fatigue I think a bit because it's so um I don't know it kind of, it's very transcendent and then yeah you do send you send it back and forth and like even if you hate the couple or you're not interested in them it like it's something to gossip about with your friends and Instagram DMs. Um, I mean, I feel like I like one thing I, I feel like I've been like hawking everywhere is I feel like people would be so much happier if they gossiped more. And just like, I think a lot of like older millennials, especially use like current events as gossip and really they should just, cause they're like ashamed of like mm-hmm. real gossip. And I think it's so much healthier. Like no one, like, I don't know. I don't know shit about Ukraine. I hate when people ask me to comment on it. I feel like I've written a handful of articles about it. Like, I don't know, like just sort of appreciating the like, like 50 bucks a pop I get for doing it. But, (laughs) you know, like I I feel like I'm much more articulate and much more interesting if I'm just talking shit about someone who I personally know. And I get so much more out of that than like culture war stuff. I was feeling this really- Welcome to the NIMFED alumni group chat. The group (laughs) chat, yeah. Literally before we're a podcast, we're a very active group chat. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. it's true. That's our primary creative medium. But <laughs> yeah. I was feeling this really strongly, what you were saying. Recently, I went back, I'm from Mexico, and I'm from kind of like a smaller town in Mexico. That's very like old school. All the women, they're they're like, they're just housewives, and their primary like daily tasks are just to like go to people's houses and like have coffee together and like gossip about other people. And I was really shocked because I kind of realized that there's like this the most drastic difference between that society and American society that I think is hard to reconcile is that, you know, these, these women that I was around a lot, like they, they all kind of like dress the same and it, they're, they don't really have a lot of like individual like quirks and very like unique parts of their personality. And I realized like the ethos for a lot of other societies is trying to fit into like a sort of collective narrative and the ethos of finding like belonging in American society is very much like something that privileges um, self-reliance, individualism, um, uniqueness, authenticity. You know, that's like very much the American way of life. And I think that since our largest export as as Americans is like Hollywood and our media, this is something that's being propagated throughout the world. And I see this a lot too, because I don't know if you guys ever go on Instagram reels, but I personally (laughs) am very obsessed with kind of like Duyan TikToks that people repost on Instagram and like Indian or Russian TikToks. And they're all very strange scenarios. I, mean, I think we've all kind of seen this, right? It's like a girl that's like, they'll have like two TikTokers and it's like a girl walking down the street with like her boyfriend and <laughs> another girl like passes bag. him. <laughs> yeah. Someone steals her bag and like they run after. It's like this crazy scenario that like you would only like fantasize like in the shower. Like what if like someone stole my bag and then like I ran and like then stole their like motorcycle or something like in the, like this like crazy scenario and it's like very much like Hollywood-esque and I think this is almost like the new form of globalist media in a weird way because I think globalist media you know like in the mid-century was kind of like this world's fair type thing and then in the 90s it was very like um kind of like uh world music type thing and now it's very much like Hollywood scenarios being transposed onto mediums like TikTok. Well, 
I so I was I had a very similar thought the other day. I was watching. I wanted to watch the Ultimatum with my boyfriend, and he turned on like this Hong Kong show called the Ultimatum, and not the the reality <laughs> TV show. And it was so hammed up. It was like beyond melodramatic. And I was like, is like East Asian media, like specifically, so and and same same is true of Bollywood, so theatrical because they are not assuming it's like it is a fantasy, whereas like everything is like hyper real for us right like there is the mm-hmm. boundaries totally blurred and like for them it's just not right like exactly they, yeah. it's actually fake and it, mm-hmm. maybe that's why it seems so corny to us because we assume that it should be interchangeable yeah oh, yeah There's a totally different definition of like good acting i feel like in east asian and bollywood stuff i didn't even put together that like i think i tried to watch a k-drama with my mom and she was like this is bollywood level corny like i can't watch this anymore <laughs> i was like i guess you're right um and yeah, it also happens with like K-pop idols a lot where they're trained and kind of like going on variety shows and like being funny and having a personality, but it really doesn't translate when they come on like American talk shows. Like they just seem insane and like they're so over the top. Um, mm-hmm. But there's also another type of globalist media that Sam and I and Biz to some extent are like obsessed with is like, it almost is like global village activities and it's all this explore page stuff that's like the updated version of what like you would talk about if you lived in a village of like 20 people like it's like really cute babies with like super long eyelashes or like these really crazy elaborate like ball gowns and the captions are always like do you like do you, this hard eyes yeah. emoji or and like, the do you think she's pretty <laughs> yeah. yeah and everyone's like god bless this baby and i'm yeah. like what yeah. like what's going on here no and it's yeah. very weird too because i'll like put it's always like a like a photo dump style like they put several photos in one and it's like four different babies from all around the world and they're like heavily photoshopped and they're all wearing wigs and some of them have like press on nails and stuff and they're literally like infant babies <laughs> And like the captions will be like one, two, three, or four. And yeah, it's like pick your favorite like, baby. I know, and they're like voting on which baby is like the best it's actually, baby. That's so funny because like it's almost like the opposite of what we were talking about earlier, where it's like children on TikTok in like filthy, filthy rooms with like cigarette butts on the carpet. But these children have like eyelash extensions and are wearing like tiaras. Yeah. But there's there's something about it that also really um, makes I like. It's really easy to just spiral into watching the, like a bunch of those videos at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've spent probably hundreds of hours just yeah. deep diving into this. It's really kind of become an unhealthy obsession for me watching all of these different. I've collected me. like hundreds of these accounts, and I have like all these like folders on Instagram with like yeah. different categories and stuff. It reminds me of how Bella Hadid is accused of photoshopping her baby pictures to give the baby photo babe her baby face like a nose job. queen queen Um, queenly activities yeah queenly activities it's kind of strange because to us like it's so obviously like edited and like really overproduced but i feel like it's one of those things where i feel like in some cultures like there's nothing better than the natural beauty of a baby like there's no Mm -hmm. greater blessing than a beautiful baby so i'm glad that i'm getting back in touch with that that's so true Mm-hmm. It's our beautiful blessing, and also <laughs> I don't know if you guys, if you guys, I don't know if you guys know much about like the beginning of the Kardashian empire, but I do, I guess. But like Kris Jenner would always 
say that people would always come up to Kim as a baby and be like, this is the most beautiful baby we have ever seen. And that was like the the, the nicest thing that you could ever tell tell someone. And yeah, that's only a- true of Kim Kardashian that she was like the most beautiful child anyone's ever seen. Yeah, I guess now the new dynamic would be like whenever you have a really beautiful baby, instead of trying to like marry them off to somebody who would like provide them with a good life, you're just going to become this like obscene stage parent that's like exploiting mm-hmm. them at every on, turn. On Instagram reels and stuff. Yeah, I'm thinking like the next step. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say it's crazy that like some of the like most like clownish examples of this are like grownups now and they're as off the rails as you would imagine like Venus Angelic, um, who again if like people aren't aware of who she is she was like the first she was she was the living doll she was like the first sort of like weeaboo parent gone off the rails right and now yeah. she's like an only fan she's an alcoholic she got like all these like strange surgeries i mean it's really sad but it's like she's well, a mom? Of course. um no no her 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 mom her mom was, was like, like a stage, stage mom oh, yeah, okay, yeah. and it was sort of like her her mom was one of these women who like wanted to Asian fish, but she didn't have like the right face, but her daughter mm-hmm. did. And mm-hmm. she, I don't know, it was like a, it was a weird thing. It was like a huge trend for a while. Um, uh, I think her mom was also like a single mom. So had like a, and she was an only child. So they had a weird like codependency that was very ladybird like, but also they did look really similar. So like during her media circuits or whatever, they would always be appearing together. And then like, I feel like her mom would get off on people being like, you guys look so similar. And she's like, yeah, she gets it all for me, but she looks like, I don't know, like an insane, she kind of resembles Bjork. They have that kind of like, so far Northern like look that it's like Eurasian, which is why I think she's like a master Asian fisher. But I keep up with her like- It's what we call Kentucky (laughs) Asian. Kentucky (laughs) Asian. To expand on that, there's like a thing where you're so from Kentucky, that you start to look Asian. An example of this is Jennifer Lawrence. It's just like um, it's like um, do you say it's like an Appalachian? Yeah, definitely know, Appalachian vibes. Yeah, yeah. You have to come from a place that's like, a lot of, like um, the cryptids. actor Barry Kioff. I'm not sure how to say his name, but the guy who's yes. playing the Joker and the new uh, Batman. He also is a good example of that, though he's Irish. Anyway, sorry, I, I had to say Kentucky Asian. A, but, a lot yeah. of, um, my ex-husband, I was just I was just telling someone this last night. So my ex-husband was from the North of Ireland and he was like super, super, like just, you know, like he spoke Irish, was, you looked at him, you knew he was Irish. Um, and we went to Japan together and everyone thought he was half Japanese. Mm-hmm. And Ooh. it was like, he's just like a petite Irish man. Like he's not. <laughs> but I think that's but I think because the people in the south are Irish and Scotch Irish that's why they look you know oh that is true yeah it's that Scots Irish blood dude yeah (laughs) okay no that's another Um, thing too is like the exotic um that's this is a big YouTube thing like the soft white underbelly type thing where it's like everyone is very obsessed with we talked about this on Russian bimbo core mm-hmm. our episode on Russian bimbo core where like I think people be, uh, in America specifically really focus on like white exoticism in a weird way because I think that we have like a culture that doesn't really it's like that obviously we live in like the melting pot and I always think of the melting pot as something that sort of melts away any type of nuance or like uniqueness it's kind of like um, the least common denominator of some sort of category is always like erased and kind of thrown under the rug. And the way that people kind of um, 
interpret this is like very liminal. So I think like they, um, they see these like weird foreign people that are like, you can't even like categorize like what, what they are. It's like not on the roster of things, of boxes that you check off for like inclusivity or whatever. Um, it's like a very liminal thing. And I think something about Gen Z, they really like liminality because their psych, their psyches are so used to being heavily attacked by so much high intensity media that almost like a liminal space is like a comfortable place for them to exist. It's like their brains are kind of um, muted and fried and they like to kind of exist. And that's also why you see like a lot of uh, pages on the internet where it's like liminal comfy or whatever that run by Gen Z kids. (laughs) Yeah, the back rooms, yeah. Um, I I also think that like part of that too is like, you know, saying all white people are the same or like all white white people like don't use spices or like mayo or whatever. Um, This was sort of like a rhetorical device originally, you know, sort of a response to like all Asian people are Chinese, right? Like obviously that's untrue. That's truly is racist. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was sort of like a taste of their own medicine. But it started at some point, people started understanding it as like a literal truth. And we do have such a, a vibrant history of like ethnic whites or hyphenated Americans is another word for it. And an Italian person is not an Anglo-American, uh, neither is a Russian or a, a Polish immigrant. Um, and it, it this is a reaction also, I think, to people saying like, wait a minute, I don't relate with like this wasp imaginary. That's not my experience, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like. I did eat weird food because you know I'm I'm Russian and every there's there's actually there there it's funny because they do put mayo and everything but <laughs> you know it's, it's true. There's like I a, got a bad review for calling Russian food weird on on one of our yeah. episodes. No, someone got so <laughs> Wait, mad was about that. that? that, was, that was, I think that was Sam or was it you, Alexi? It was it was not. I, I definitely really said that Russian food is like gross or weird. Yeah. I'll, I'll stand up to that, but, but we can we can like eating gross foods too. You know, yeah. So we can say it's gross. Like, I would call our food gross. I don't know. <laughs> um, um, yeah, but I think, I mean, I think that's, I think that's part of it too. It's, it's like trying to like, it, it is about differentiating yourself, but it's also like at this narrative accidentally turned into the truth when it was just a, you know, it was just a, a rhetorical device. Well, this is something that I want to pose as a question because I can't work through this. And it's the thing that plagues me heavily is this push for individuality and uniqueness on the internet. I don't know if it's because of like this almost, cause I don't even really want to say like trained narcissism because that narcissism is kind of like a loaded term that I don't think is being used properly, but I don't really know what other word to use it. I do think because the algorithm, the internet's not a portal to another world, right? It's a mirror. It's an algorithm that's spitting back into like what you, what, what you're putting into it. And so I don't know if it's just because we've become entranced with our own reflections or because the internet is almost this like, um, this like the function I think of a lot of digital media is to, it's like the singularity, right? It melts away a lot of um, like nuance and in order to create like a better category to like put you in, right? Like for like algorithmic like efficiency. And I don't know if this like push for individuality is like a form of like, wanting to be unique in almost like an egotistical way or it's just like a a very strong push against like the singularity of like being thrown into an algorithmic category what do you guys think is that like too nebulous no no I I've I've wondered this too like I like 
this thing, this like attachment to labels and archiving and categorizing, I always, it's, it's a feature of fandom and, and has been since before there was, you know, a wide usage of the internet since like the seventies. Right. Mm-hmm. And I always thought it was something about like the way we consume things. And I, but I, I couldn't work out why fans love to label stuff, but it is mm-hmm. like when you see across fandoms, but I had never thought of it. Like it's sort of a reaction to the algorithm choosing for you. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't have, I don't have like articulate ideas about it, but it's, it's a really good question. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think also like, again, to, ooh, my door just opened. That was creepy. But um, yeah, um, I think also something weird. I'll, I always go back to McLuhan in like the most obnoxious way, but um, you know, he sort of talks about how digital media is going to like return us to tribalism because it's so, uh, it lends itself so heavily to mythological thinking, right? And those categories are like how I was saying, like sort of like an encyclopedic category more so than a dictionary category, you know? Because it's like every term is that you label yourself, it's not just loaded with a definition, it's loaded with like this giant narrative, like a very, you had to be there to understand it, you know? Like trying to explain internet subcultures to somebody that's not online is absolutely impossible. Like you literally had to be there to see it all unfold in real time because it's too nebulous of mythology. You can't define it with like a simple dictionary definition, you know? So I don't know if that's also just like us being more tribalistic in our mythological thinking or something, but it's something I would love to hear somebody talk about that's more articulate than I am because it plagues me heavily. Um, it's, It's actually not that hard to explain things to people that are not online. And there are like a lot of platforms that do this, like Know Your Meme and like the abundance of like meme explainer people um it's just like more embarrassing to try to convince them like why it's like funny or like why it matters so I think you can like competently do it in a way where they like understand it but not in a way where they truly like get it and sometimes Mm -hmm. that's okay like I kind of gave up on trying to like do that in real life yeah I don't think know your meme like it's different though because I think Sam's talking more about things like girl blogging and like these uh, really mm-hmm. like expansive so many hashtags that are like super loaded with meaning if you know you know versus stuff like know your meme which I think is yeah a little bit more concise. Mm-hmm. I would love to see someone well I guess that is also where um this like new category of career which is like Gen Z whisperer, internet whisperer thing, where it, it really does take somebody that's going to dive in and do a lot of like work and um, secrete el- elbow grease on this shit. Like you really need to like spend a lot of time so that you can explain it to the general public in a way that's um, semi-digestible for them. But it is, I think at a certain point, not um, we're not going to fully work. Yeah, well, it's just like not going to work totally, right? Because um, things are, a lot of it has to do with humor, right? These communities are formed around their sense of humor and like memes. And a lot of these memes, like they're not funny. It was like, it really is like you had to be there. Like they're not funny unless you were there in the moment to witness it, you know? Well, um, I also think like, you know, to to go back to McLuhan, um, you know, he, he would always say that like, he does, what was it? Like he doesn't come to things with like a theoretical frame, he just explores. I think mm-hmm. a big problem is like people, a, a lot of the internet 
culture work that's done, not, not all of it. Like, I don't think like reality um, or like, sorry, real life mag rather does this, uh, for example, but like a lot of it uh, comes to things like, and it places a frame over pre-existing phenomenon and tries to make it digestible within like a preset narrative. But there's so many different narratives that you can't really do that. You have to like, just present things as they are without, without judgment. Um, or like the judgment needs to be like somehow like separate or like beneath or secondary to the explanation of the scene. Like so many things, the really obvious, you know, uh, example of this is like so many things are coded as right wing when really they're just like offensive or they're amoral, not immoral. Like there's, there's so many things like that. And we we're, we're trying to fit it in a story that doesn't make sense anymore. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I think Amen. that's why like internet history is having such a hard time fitting into academia because like I tried to do a super chronically online like essay project for my thesis but I just kept on like having to spend so much time just explaining like the most elementary things to my thesis advisors that I like barely ended up like getting as deep as I wanted to into a lot of stuff um but I do think there's also like this um kind of pride in being chronically online like one of the comments that I see on TikTok all the time that I find like really annoying but it's like people being like oh like none of these words are in the bible or like (laughs) this would kill a Victorian child or something um but I I'm kind of happy to see that type of you know taking ownership of the the state of things and how far we've come from like intelligibility yeah It's, it's funny that you say that Alexi because uh, so I, I do a, like a lot of reading, um, you know, like, ac- you know, academic internet history. I'm part of all these like weird, weird ass associations and stuff. And at the beginning of almost every cyber culture or digital studies or internet history book, and I'm sure you know this, is that the essay, which is, we don't really know what discipline this is. Um, yeah. <laughs> and we don't know what to do. And it's like not really history. It's not media studies. It's not anthropology. Um, and it's definitely not computer science, but, uh, <laughs> we don't, we just, we, we need help if you please write in. <laughs> yeah. I think people just need to give up on like doing those disclaimers and just like get to it because you can really spend so much time being like, I don't know, like trying to fit myself into like cultural studies. Like I didn't want to be like working with sociologists, you know, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. but I also didn't want to be like doing stuff with all of these like film theory people, but Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm hoping that there's like more of a framework for it for the children of the future. <laughs> well, but I also think fun. that they're just going to end up like doing video essays in their free time. So it's not like mm-hmm. a huge yeah. deal. Mm-hmm. They're just going to monetize that way. They don't yeah. have to go to college. Yeah. yeah. I think we need to accept though that it's like, it, it's multiple disciplines. And I think that's, yeah. a, that's, a, it's not just interdisciplinary, but also like there is a, you know, internet culture, which is computer science. But there's also an internet culture, which is, you know, anthropology. And then there's another expression of it that's both or, you know, Mm -hmm. many different things. And I think that's what people have trouble to have trouble accepting. Uh, You know, I mean, same is true with like film studies. Like it it can be its own thing, but it's also it can also fit into other other disciplines. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We need to find a home, y'all. Someone needs to... (laughs) The home is Substack. The home is Substack, (laughs) Patreon, yeah. Um, I do wonder whether or not 
people will be able to even parse through a lot of the content that people are putting on. Because sometimes I'm like, oh, I hope that like future generations will be able to parse this and maybe articulate it better because they have more context and information. Because all of this is so new, right? And um, which is part of what's so scary about it because whenever like a new medium, uh, historically, like, you know, when a new medium is introduced, things get really dicey, but um, yeah, I wonder how, mu how much people will be able to parse through. And that's, this is why I wonder like if Substack is almost like a better um, medium than podcasting because it's kind of, it takes forever to listen to like every, like every single episode of one podcast, right? And I don't know if people Not are going to be able fans. to- that's true. <laughs> They're like, I found your podcast yesterday. I listened to every single episode. Where's the next one? I know. Yeah, but we love them. We yeah. love them. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I have been assigned podcasts like for school, and for some reason, there's like literally nothing worse. Like, I just like don't uh, digest audible media that well, and it takes so much like actual time as opposed to like skimming something and like reading the references. Um, that's but not to talk TikTok, shit on podcasts. Though. Like right? podcasts, yeah. like when you have to listen to a podcast, it like offends you so much more than if you had to skim something for school. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so just drastically. Like, sorry, go ahead. No, no. I'm sure we're gonna say some variation <laughs> of the same thing. Oh yeah. No, I mean that's just it's such a drastically different medium. I think like um, audio is like so. Um, because I think we're also, this is something that, because I am so addicted to my phone and the internet and just like a digital screen being in front of my face that like listening to a podcast is sometimes kind of hard and I can only do it when I'm cleaning or like playing a game or something. Um, and it's like, we're really not, I, I really do wonder, I had in the past, I was very much able to just sit down and listen to like a podcast, but now I'm so... Um, yeah, the medium is just kind of like low engagement. It's almost like kind of a cold medium a little bit, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just cold. I think it yeah. causes that same kind of like conspiracy theory reaction where you're just like, damn, or like, hell yeah. You're just kind of damn. like agreeing and being like, oh, that was good. But I am starting to believe in like the Justin Murphy thing of like taking notes while you listen to a podcast. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, I know someone who takes notes while listening to our podcast. She should be doing Oh, yeah. We yeah. do sometimes have people show us like notes that they take, which is the coolest thing in the world. And it's just like such a huge honor. And I'm kind of like mm -hmm. concerned. I'm like, damn, I really need to like get it together so that like yeah. I don't accidentally like ruin someone's life with like a sentence that I said that causes like a lot of paranoia for me with podcasting Someone, I'm sure you guys have seen the type of TikTok that is like a movie that's like really sped up and there's like a Chinese accented text-to-speech narrative I think that someone could really like have a successful enterprise doing that with podcasts that already exists. There's like spark notes for podcasts and it's like really? getting to the point where it's just everything is like a symptom of there's too much information. Yeah. I wonder if there's going to be eventually like, uh, you know, not to make my whole thing like the pendulum is going to swing, but if there's going to be like a reaction to this of people who just like deny information, like they don't want to know, like anti-information, um, like a new kind it. of anti-intellectualism. <laughs> yeah. I do see this. I see that already kind of with some more fringe artists that are that I see like on Instagram and stuff that very much are like anti-intellectual in almost like an intellectual way. Like they've come up with like an entire um, 
I don't know if I should shout this out, but um, Barrett, Barrett Avram is like a friend of mine and he wrote like his like barbecue sauce thing, kind of like on that where you just kind of have to like be anti-intellectual in order to survive in this new. What do you mean um, barbecue sauce? It's really nebulous and hard to explain and it took me forever, but I think the gist of it is just like kind of like um, disengage from complexity somewhat because complexity is just, oh, I, I see no, this as well this too. Happened, this happened last year, Sam, when everyone was like obsessed with saying I'm retarded. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. No, you know, it's like, true. I do not see it or like I don't perceive anything. That's yeah, like, that, was, that was annoying actually when everyone became obsessed with like the cult of being intellectually disabled as um, the cult. Yeah, they well they they made a cult around it. It's true. Like yeah. similar well, to like Midsummer when I do think Yeah. I do think if you're actually trying to like be an artist proper or like do something like write a manifesto or like the great American novel, it can help you to take a break from all of this stuff. Um well, that's what Carolyn Calloway's doing right now. True. Yeah, so maybe not. She owes um, like millions of dollars to her apartment complex or something. And she just yeah. like wasn't paying rent. So we I like an artist it. on the run. Whatever. She's like my baby fern. <laughs> yeah. Your baby fern. Um, I think there's so much there's I think there's been a lot of attempts at like into intellectualism with like the whole bimbo core thing, like new age bimboism. That was a flopperella. And then hate also that shit so much, by the way. I think the yeah, yeah. trying to make bimbo core happen is just like re- that's retarded shit. And <laughs> yeah. that what's that that one that one girl, Chrissy, whatever her name. I, I don't want yeah, like I don't want to fellow Chicagoan. Um, I don't want to say anything bad about her because I'm sure she's a nice person. But that one viral TikTok of hers about like the bimbo is a, a radical Marxist. It's yeah. Oh, oh my god. No, that was not. <laughs> I got into like talking about bimbos a couple of years ago just because my mom is really pretty and like model esque <laughs> and like kind of is this archetype, and so I was interested in like a very personal level. But then, yeah, it got super, super intellectualized. Um, I, I liked the, I will say, I do like the 2000s version of this, where it had sort of like the, the male version was like the skater boy who like told like uh, sophomoric jokes. And then you have like the Pam Anderson style or like girl next door mm-hmm. type of like that, that worked. I thought it was very aspirational and fun. This is so forced. I think it's just misogynistic to be like um, a hot woman also has to be a radical Marxist and it's not enough for her to just be hot and like nice yeah I think something that Biz Sam and I have in common is that we all have like really pretty moms and I think sexy moms sexy sexy moms (laughs) yeah my mom like did pageants she was a model almost won Miss Universe all this stuff but I think the greatest thing that I learned from her is like the practical usage of being a bimbo Mm-hmm. quote unquote which like she's very smart I don't think she would ever describe herself as a bimbo in any means but I think like the like online bimbo theory thing is so divorced from like the way people perceive you in real life and it's very like dressing up in your bedroom and like you know like catching people by like saying smart stuff on TikTok but you're wearing like a glittery tank top but I think it's like really more about I don't know like gaming the system but that's also very like looks maxing so i will say that was it, i think it was more of a slay to be like a computer science bimbo in the early 2000s because i do think there's more stereotypes and more like misogyny leveled at 
like Pam Anderson types in the early 2000s, but now I feel like it's not really like that um, as no. much. So well, this I don't is kind of much of a computer science slay with no yeah. women in tech or yeah women in what is it women in coding I forgot the girls who could girls who could yeah it's like a stimbo like stimbo it's not funny but anyways no I but know. I this is kind of a, a unrelated but somewhat related I do think also another wave of anti-intellectualism is kind of like the redneck core thing I see a lot of fashion people be drawn to and I also think it's like this cos- the cosmopolitan fascination with like people like Alex Jones and Joe Rogan is also mm-hmm. kind of like this because Alex Jones and Joe Rogan are both very like middle class wisdom you know like all of their insights are very obvious but these are things that are kind of like lost in the complexity of the internet that we're kind of digging through every day no, it's this kind of also, like this is also exotic whiteness it's like yeah. people from the south if you're from like a a liberal area or like exotic white people to you yeah no it's true yeah they need like neighborly porch sitting conversation have to get it through podcasts this is what i was trying to say about the that vanity fair new right article it's mm. about people who are kind of exoticizing not, I mean, not all of them. And there's there's nothing wrong with any individual person mentioning that piece, but it's sort of like an affectation. Like all of these people lead very upper middle-class lives. Like I, w- I would say probably every single new right figure mentioned in that piece. Um, and it's like, it's like somehow missing what they're referencing, right? Like it's only the, it's, it's, that's, it's like a, it's sort of like a hipster right wing. And it, I tried to say that and people were like, oh, you don't believe in aesthetics. What are, I'm like, no, it's just, there's clearly a like there's a difference between Alex Jones and InfoWarrior and then the like <laughs> hipster who affects InfoWarrior, I don't know, what behaviors or aesthetics. Yeah, no, I think it's just like reactionary is a difference. And I'm definitely guilty of this too, but I feel like a lot of people are like, the whole thing of like, oh, I just want to start a family, but like no one's really acting like it. So it's true. Um, because it is, it, I do think it is like very oversimplified, this sort of trad fetish, fetishization. Like I think a, a lot of people lack the, and this is another thing too that I see a lot of cosmopolitan girls romanticize these types of like relationships with men that are maybe in like other areas considered somewhat abusive. But I think cosmopolitan women have like more outs, like they have more like lines of like escape um, from these types of relationships where they really like guys that are like very manipulative and like controlling and they're all kind of like, I want a boyfriend that's gonna count my calories for me or whatever. Um, it's like super weird. I, I do, this is something that I, I wonder a lot cause I, yeah, I don't know. Like, cause I, I don't really, I'm not really familiar with any type of cosmopolitan culture other than through the internet. Cause I've just like spent my whole life in Texas. Um, um, but it, it's always been extremely fascinating to me because it does feel like people have never encountered those experiences in their real life. And that's why they kind of approach them in this oversimplified way. It is a form of cosplay. It is a form of like LARPing. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I think there's an argument to be, I think a lot of them also argue like, um, you know, we're, we're products of our environment and like all we have left is, is the LARP. So if we LARP for long enough, then maybe the next generation, it'll be sincere. Yeah, but stop being <laughs> annoying. Like, right. you know, that's not annoying. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, there's definitely some people are more annoying than others. There's definitely like a class of people where I feel like, who are you trying to care? Like, do you believe it? You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that's yeah. very classical though. That was kind of 
the origin of kind of like neoconservatism, right? It was like, um, who was the guy who wrote um, the neoconservative like book, the big one, right? He was like a Trotskyist, right? And then like ended up uh, saying that like, uh, in order to like appeal to the working class, you have to be kind of like culturally conservative, right? It was like the Reagan administration thing. It's like funny to see that play out again. I've seen people talk about that before, but it's funny to see that play out again in like a second go around um, in the modern day, right? Like kind of like people that started out kind of on the left or in a more like theoretical kind of like political theory place. And then they sort of revert back to this cultural conservatism to try to appeal to like a grander mass. But something tells me that the masses don't really have such a simple view like you can't really even um, you can't really measure um, the cultural like moral standards anymore. It's not as unified because there's not not as much of a sense of community in the United States anymore. Everything's been a little bit more nicheified. Um, uh, I think default friend, your um, sex negativity report. One of the things that really stuck with me was the kind of thing with like because America is a melting pot, there's so many immigrants, like, this kind of conservative view of families and relationships and sex is gonna kind of come back in through these, like, immigrant, I don't know, forms. And I think I'm starting to see that so much more, like, these, like, Persian girls on TikTok being, like, my dad, like, gives my mom, like, $6,000 a month and, like, chased her around for months before he married her um sorry I, yeah i have <laughs> so, to, I so have bad to drop off soon so oh yeah i yeah, know yeah, that totally makes sense i think that yeah that's kind of how we're gonna get it by like playing it through like a cultural angle and like totally i mean people's like diversity this like conversion to Catholic like are people converting to Catholicism or are they like jealous of Mexican people and don't want to say it? It's kind of, <laughs> like, seriously, on. right? Tell us. <laughs> no, they're definitely not converting. Cause I've met a lot because here in Austin randomly, I moved to I moved to Austin. I just I spent most of my time in my hometown of Corpus and I moved to Austin. I'm 25. I moved here when I was 24, right? So I've been here for like pipeline. a year. Corpus yeah, to no, it's Austin. Corpus <laughs> to Austin pipeline. Yeah, because there's nothing to do anywhere else in Texas, right? And it's really funny because here, randomly, I'm sure you know because you've been to Austin a few times, this is just like the most online city. And everyone you meet here is just into like weird internet subcultures, the college kids, everybody has sort of, and so everyone here is like pseudo-Catholic, right? But I don't see these people at church every Sunday. I don't see them doing things that are kind of, you know, they're all doing like lines of, like drugs and stuff and just doing really crazy things, but sort of like where, yeah, it's not, it's not, but you know, I do honestly, I want to be more um, generous to this because I do think everyone has like their own specific journey with religion. And I do hope that people find through aesthetics, some sort of home, right? Cause I do, I do personally think like, it's better for you to engage with it even on a superficial level than not at all. Right. So yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, and I think that's the the LARPing point that some of the people on the new or dissident or whatever you want to call it, right, are making, which I, I, I think is right. I mean, I think that's, I think that's fair. You have to engage with it at all, even if it's not um, sincere or, or, you know, authentic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Wait, you're in Chicago? You can cut this out, but you're in Chicago. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's, it's common knowledge. Uh, Hello, okay. Chicago. Doxing. Uh, tweeters. <laughs> have no, tweeted, a... met default friend. <laughs> oh, really? 
I'm gonna be in Chicago in like a week for my sister's graduation because she goes to so if you're free you know yeah um, um, that might be a, that might be a, I've, I've ended a few episodes with, with making plans with, uh, people, people in Illinois. So maybe that's a good place to, to start wrapping <laughs> oh, nice. up. I guess, uh, my only regret at this episode is we never talked about Infets, but, uh, <laughs> or two. Yeah, maybe another two. time. We well, really, like, don't even talk about them that much on the podcast. Yeah. No, we would never.